welcome down to episode number 62 of the Down South Photo Show with me, Brendan Waits. And the very observant of you in the room will notice there's three people, mm. three faces on the screen if you're watching, or there's three people in your ears or on your car stereo, wherever you like to listen to this. Uh, over there is Cam Blake. He's on my far that way. He's the furthest yeah. one over. Cam Blake in Hobart, Tasmania. Hello, Cameron. G'day, Brendan. How are you? Uh, why, why do we have a third person on this show? Well, I would like to introduce our listeners. For those of you who don't already know this man, uh, he is uh, probably the world's greatest landscape photographer. It's Tom Putt, everybody. Thank you, thank you, Cameron, for having me. We, we don't we don't do sound effects on this show, do we, Brendan? <laughs> uh, no, because I have to edit them in. And... No, we can't. We, we don't know how to. We we barely struggle to do a bleep. Yeah. yeah. So, in, with that in mind, I think we could go hard. <laughs> yeah. Not necessarily no. keep a PG. Yeah, this will be the episode. This will be the episode that never comes out. <laughs> I can't be bothered. I can't be bothered editing that hard. So, no, uh, no. Tom, lovely to have you on the show. Thank you so much for giving us uh, some of your time tonight for technically what's part two of um, Cameron and Tom's big adventure down the Franklin. We mm. spoke about the Franklin last week, and uh, we said we would have the other dude on that was on the trip as well, and that's you, Tom. So we'll be. Uh, chatting with you about your adventure down the Franklin uh, a little bit later on as we go through. Uh, but I think it's prudent to uh, let our listeners know a bit about yourself, people who don't know you. Uh, tell us where you're based, Tom. I'm based on the Mornington Peninsula, specifically Mornington itself here in Victoria. I've been living here with my partner and uh, three, four, five kids here for the past six, seven years. Um, we opened a gallery in Main Street, Mornington, a retail gallery selling my artwork um, about four years ago now. In fact, we celebrated our birthday last week. Uh, I've been awesome. photographing landscapes for the last 25 years or so, sort of professionally, if you want to call it as such. Um, I, I seriously started photographing landscapes back in 1997 when I walked the um, dodgy overland track <laughs> for the first time. <laughs> Um, March 1997 it was, um, mm. it was amazing. And uh, ever since then, I've just loved photographing landscapes, etc. So yeah, I've been doing that um, for many years. Um, I've been employed in the photographic industry professionally since 1998 as a professional sports photographer for three years, running my own portrait studio for 11 years, um, running workshops since 2005, teaching landscape photography. Um, yeah, but been dabbling in photography ever since I was sort of like 13 years old. So um, with when you say sports photography, that sort of piqued my interest. What sort of sports photography were you into? I was, I was employed by a professional sports stock library, so called Sport the Library, based in Port Melbourne at the time. And so that was back in October 1998. I had a passion for triathlon. I was competing in triathlon a bit, but then in the meantime, when I wasn't photograph when I wasn't competing, I was photographing professional events, going across to Hawaii each year to photograph the Hawaii Ironman triathlon uh, and built up a portfolio that I, um, I you know, I sort of gave or, or uh, presented to the owner of that company at the time. And um, they liked it enough to bring me on board as their staff photographer. And for the next three years, I just spent, you know, the rest of my time traveling around taking photographs for them um, on slide films, transparency film, um, with you know twenty thousand dollars worth of gear that I'd um, that I borrowed from the bank at the time, four hundred mm -hmm. Canon four hundred mil f two point eight lens, um, yeah. sixteen to thirty five mil seventy to two hundred mil lens, you know, and just learn. I guess cut my teeth in how to shoot on transparency film and how to shoot 
um, you know, sports photography um, with that company. So it was amazing. It's actually quite interesting because um, we're all sort of from the same generation, and and uh, all, yeah, all yeah, three yeah. of us now have had. Well, you are Ken. We've all <laughs> we've all sort of cut our teeth on film and then lived yeah. through and worked through the digital yeah. revolution. So uh, it, it's sort of apt that all three of us are here on the show tonight. So, um, what we not like to do when we have a new guest on is a little segment we call burst mode. Yes. which we'll get into in one sec. First of all, though, for the people watching, people like to know where our backgrounds are. Cameron, your background is? My background is from the Franklin River. Um, I was lucky enough to have a model pretty much comp, <laughs> pretty much comp stop me. So I've got Tom yeah. in this photo. Uh, yeah, you had a model think. at every opportunity on the yeah. Franklin River. And, it was incredible. And for our avid uh, listeners and viewers, they're going to notice that he's wearing a red jumper. And I love, Perfect. I just love red jumpers in photos. I reckon they, if you're not taking a photo without a red jacket in it, then it's no point even taking that photo. So point. Yeah. Point. Yeah. I, I wore it specifically for you. I knew you'd love it. Yeah. Uh, I think you're putting on a bit of a geeky, geeky <laughs> pose there, but it, it was more about just showing the size of the landscape against his physique. Yeah. Um, and as you can see, it's, it's pretty look like bulgy. A, look like a giant there. You, you do look like a giant. And you, I, one thing I noticed about Tom on this trip that he has his tripod up as high as it goes every time. Like it's always at maximum height. Very mm -hmm. tall person. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're not actually, you're, you're a lot shorter in real life. <laughs> Coming from you, who's a wombat. Who's actually, belly across the ground every time he walks. Actually, Cameron, your background looks like the easiest Where's Wally of all time. It is. Look, look, it is. You can just, you can sort of pick him out. He does look like Where's Wally. I didn't think about that. He does. <laughs> yeah, I think nice. we might call, I might be the wombat, but you can be Wally. Yeah, that's right. And uh, uh, Tom, your background um, that looks like there's someone familiar in yours one as of the well. Most spectacular spots on the Franklin River. It was a crowning moment whereby we drafted down the Collingwood River. We came into the Franklin River. I'm like, oh my God, I'm finally here. How long have I waited for this? Line up this perfect shot. And then somebody walks through my frame right there and flips the bird. Mm. I so, think I was about to scratch my face. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't know right. about that. It was a terrible. It was. It was such a beautiful moment that was ruined by uh, this rather inconsiderate person on the workshop. But anyway, mm. we won't name names. We won't there's always, but there's always one on the workshop. There True. is, unfortunately. Yeah, we just couldn't and... get rid of him for the next uh, week. <laughs> and for those playing along at home, my background is the wonderful Lake Boga in mm. Northwestern Victoria. That's... Like Boga, oh, right. Like Boga, up near Swan Hill, my old stomping ground where I grew up. In fact, my wife is from Lake Boga, from that, and they get the Mallee sunsets. I rate as the best sunsets on the planet. Great spot to take some photos. Uh, so, cool. Tom, yes, are you ready? Are you ready for our little burst mode segment? I don't think I am, but anyway, <laughs> I, did, so I, had basically, nothing, I had nothing to do with this. These are rapid fire questions. They are the same set of questions that we've asked all our guests on the show so far, all two of them. So basically you answer however you want to answer. The idea is though to keep it snappy though. Let's see how okay, you go. Okay, okay. Let's not make it a three-hour show. Don't be verbose, Tom. Yeah, no. <laughs> Question one, colour or black and white? Colour. Film or digital? Digital, for sure. I like it. Prime or Zoom? Oh, got him. Depends what you're shooting, but yeah. uh, let's go. Let's go. Zoom, zoom. Yeah, right. I thought you were going to say prime then. No. Okay. 
Yeah. So it's it's not it's not you know there's no right answers here. It's just I feel like just, I feel like there's a pass or fail coming up. No, it's sort of does it feel like you're lying down on a chair and we're sort of you know now now what do you see in this picture and what I do you feel see like Cam has is just about to pull on the latex glove and that's what <laughs> I don't use gloves, you know that. <laughs> Landscape or portrait? Landscape. Photoshop or Lightroom? Lightroom for sure. What are you doing? Well, uh, Photoshop. Okay, all right, all right. I want you to elaborate on that one. Lightroom, why I've for been, sure? I've been using Photoshop um, since Photoshop version three back in 1998. Um, and and look, I don't use it much these days. And the sim the simple reason is that with my edits, if you, if you if you bothered to look at my website, Brendan, and spend hours poring over the wonderful images, you'd notice that I don't do a lot to my images in post-production. So therefore, everything that I want and need is in Lightroom. So at the end of the day, I will promise you that if you come into my gallery or you look on my website, I've spent probably less than two minutes on each of my photos. Now, some people out there who love me will probably go, yeah, it shows. But to be honest, all I'm, my style of photography is very much to try to replicate what I saw with the eye. And therefore, I'm trying to get as much uh, correct in camera in the first place. So us from that sort of film background will know that when you're shooting with transparency, you've really got to make sure that you expose it correctly. Um, you know, with my sports photography job, shooting on transparency film and shooting stock, which means that the client is coming in, they're literally looking at the transparency or the slide on the light box. They're not thinking, you know, remember Photoshop was a dirty word back then. So they're not thinking that, oh yeah, we could crop that bit in a bit and we could lighten that, et cetera, et cetera. My boss drilled it into me that I had to get it right in camera, perfect exposure, perfect cropping each and every time. So that's what comes through in the way I shoot my landscapes. And so therefore, when I download and I'm processing my images, I'm just tweaking the image. I don't need to go into Photoshop and do any heavy post-production work in order to for it to look good and 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 with that my style is not you know about composites or dropping in skies and things like that anyway so at the end of the yes, day yes brendan no drop in skies no like this one behind me yeah did you drop that in of course not um that that begs the question then why do you shoot on digital then if you're shooting to try and get film look or you're trying to get that feel that it's a one shot minimal yeah. adjustment why don't you just shoot on film well, it's far. Well, I shoot on digital because it's far cheaper, and okay. film doesn't have that exposure latitude that di digital does these days. No. I gave up using my panoramic film camera, which you know, very similar to sort of the Peter Lee Ken Duncan style of cameras all those years ago. I gave it up in 2014 when I took it to Carragini for the first time that I'd gone there, and yeah. I shot the film alongside the digital, and that's the perfect place to test those two things out because it's so contrasty. Yeah. And, um, and when I saw the results, what side by side, I just went, why am I bothering? Yeah. Yeah. No, fair enough. Fair enough. Excellent, excellent answer. I, I, I like I, it. I think I passed on that one. Tick. I'm going to give myself a tick. You, 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 you keep grading yourself. That's good. I'm ahead. I'm ahead. I'm just, I'm just above the just above the pass um, button. Now this this is a tricky question, but you haven't been forewarned with these. So, what would you consider to be your best photographic moment, or is it yet to come? <laughs> that old cliche, that old mm -hmm. chestnut. The best mm -hmm. photograph is the one you're yet to take. Mm -hmm. uh, oh my god that's so hard well you are an award-winning photographer tom i mean you know do, well, i'm just trying to and you've won some rather hair. prestigious awards as well so oh, we, look we haven't got into that yet <laughs> for that. i was gonna i was gonna I, let I, you bring I, it up I, later we were, it's fine we were covering that in hours two to three so <laughs> so it's a bit earlier yeah, I, th I think you're on the wrong show tom <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, it's funny because I was walking to work this morning and I, I shared with Cam this and, and I read back on the text and I actually wrote that I own the tessellated paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but there's sort of like there's this, these, this is a, a topic for another occasion, but they're those iconic photos that people have taken that they then own that subject. Think Peter Domboskis, Rock Island Bend. Um, mm -hmm. As far as I'm concerned, Ken Duncan owns Mitchell Falls because he's just got this brilliant photo of it. Uh, no one's going to get it better. Peter Leake has a gorgeous vertical photograph of Simpson Desert that he calls a dune staircase or, or stairwell or something like that. And and Cam, as far as I'm concerned, owns the tessellated paper <laughs> down there with his bloody Aurora shot. Good on him. And, and I'm still searching for that one landscape here in Australia that I kind of own because it's so iconic. I mean, it's very hard to do. But there is a, I do, I do love this sort of beautiful photograph I took of a burnt forest at Mount Malloy out the back of Cairns oh, 20 years ago, where I was driving along. It had been a really long day. My wife was totally over the fact that we kept on stopping for photographs. And yet through this burnt forest, I saw this sort of flash of orange and it was one of these gum trees that sort of hadn't been affected by the fire. And all that had happened is a beautiful orange bark had peeled off the tree and it was all just sort of laying around on this beautiful black ash um you know on the ground there. and I thought that was one of my sort of favorite images as such but there's been many so there's been so many good moments it's hard to pinpoint one okay good answer I like it yeah, he's, doing, well. he's well. doing pretty he's doing pretty well isn't he he oh. is um getting all hot and flustered <laughs> um do do you have what you would consider a worst photographic moment in other words, yes, it's all gone. Background. Well, yes, <laughs> one just came up. One just came up. When I first started my um, portrait um, <laughs> studio, when my daughter was first born, I was one of our um, uh, friends was kind enough to um, say, come over to our house and um, take some portraits of my kids and I'll pay you for it. And that was one of my first jobs. And I was very excited, very nervous, um, thought I was doing a good job until my cards filled up and I didn't have any more spare cards. And I had to ask them if I could download the photographs onto their computer at home in order to keep photographing <laughs> their kids. It was just so embarrassing. And then I had to go back over to their house, get the photos off their computer, delete them so that they did, were keeping them because the intention was that I was actually going to sell them prints afterwards. It was a disaster. It was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm, I've fallen into this Wookiee mistake but anyway yeah that was probably pretty yeah, Bre nice Brent, Brendan has a great tip for that don't you Brendan What's always always keep a spare memory card in the car or in your They're bag so cheap. just They're buy so one cheap. cheap and just leave oh, one in the bag somewhere 20 years ago they weren't but um, no. I remember the first card I bought was off eBay is a 128 megabyte card compact flash and I bought it from some guy who was selling them out of his home for I think it was $190 brilliant yeah. and what was the first memory card you bought First you memory card, uh, it would have been an XD card <laughs> for the um, for the Olympuses, nice. Olympuses, Olympi, Olympi, Olympi. Uh, an XD card. It would have been only like sixteen megabyte or thirty two megabytes. Something like yeah. that. My yeah. my first memory card was a smart media card. Oh yeah, this is real thin ones. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and it was, was and it was uh, one hundred and twenty eight megabytes. Right. And it was three hundred and twenty dollars. <laughs> wow, That's incredible, isn't it? <laughs> that, that was with, that was my, my first digital camera was a Fuji Fine Pick six hundred two Z. Double A batteries and smart media. Oh, anyway, we digress. Yeah, remember the uh, double. Speaking a of cameras, yeah, the so, next question yes. for Tom is: Tom, your favourite camera of all time? It's got to be the one he's just bought that he hasn't told his wife. <laughs> She's not listening. 
no one listens to the show. It's okay. That's right. It's um, <laughs> yeah, my favorite camera of all time would have to be my panoramic film camera, which was a ripoff of a Linhoff and a Fuji. It was a Tomiyama Art Panorama 617, um, a sort of Japanese ripoff. And it was just a box, big, heavy box with a lens bolted on the front. The lens was quite decent. So I think it was a, a Fuji, or oh, it was a Snyder, you know. Um, so did you say Tomiyama? Tomiyama. Isn't that oh, golf? okay. Not not like Tommy Armour, like the golf clubs. <laughs> no, I, don't, oh, I don't play golf. You mean you mean Tommy Armour? One word, Tommy Armour. Correct, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. yeah that's okay. what I thought he said. Right. Tommy <laughs> Armour, Tommy Armour. It was yeah. called. Yeah. I've still got the camera. It's in the garage there somewhere. Um, the the shutter stuff on it and everything else. Did that? Did that have a a dark slide for it? It did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It had a dark slide on it as mm. well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I'm sorry, it had a ground glass, so you could actually wow. Um, you take that off and and then focus and then load the film up based right. on. But and I was... never used that function because once you put it on, sort of, I did a series of tests when I first got it. It actually went to the Sydney Olympics and photographed the opening ceremony of the Sydney Olympics. That camera I bought it off a mate of mine who photographed with me there, and he rang me from the Monash Engineering Department and said, "Oh, you know that camera I used at the Olympics? They're selling it and they want like three or four grand for it. Are you interested?" And I'm like. Oh God, yeah. Rather than the ten grand plus that I'd have to spend mm. on a, a Linhoff or a Fuji, and um, I did some tests on it when I first got it. F thirty two was the only sharp aperture on it. F twenty two or F forty five either side went yeah. soft on the edges at um, seventeen centimeters across. So you just shot at um, Fuji ISO uh, fifty film rated at forty. Uh, you know F thirty two, and then the shutter speed was anything from about an eighth of a second down to however many seconds you wanted to let it run for. So. It's a great camera. I ran tens of thousands of dollars worth of film through that. In fact, I think I estimated somewhere in the order of forty thousand dollars worth of film and processing. Right. Wow. Did you make your money back on that? Of course not. <laughs> That's money well spent. We're photographers. We're photographers. We are not here to make money, Cameron. You know how <laughs> you know you know how to become a millionaire being a photographer, don't you? This is an old Peter Eastway joke. Start oh, with two three million. million. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Uh, very so good. to that end, we also need to know what your favourite lens is or was. Um, I'll tell you what my favourite lens is. You know, I I watched your show last week or I listened very intently. I've, I'm sort of a newcomer to your show because, you know, I've been very busy and, you know. And, I was and, your, show, and your show has fallen apart. I, I, <laughs> well, I'm very Sorry, pleased Matt. to know that Matt actually declined an offer to come on your show. I know you talked about getting him on, but he's, he's um, rightfully declined the offer. And I watched last week that you um, showed off a beautiful new lens that you've got there, Cam. Well, oh, yes, yes. You've got one that's bigger. My, my I just say that that is easily my favourite lens at the moment. Look at that big beast. <laughs> that's a I know what that is? It looks that's... long and black. <laughs> is it? What? That's Look at a... that. That's an that 800, a 800 mil beast. That is a Nikon 800 6.3 lens that is only, it's 38 centimetres long without the lens <laughs> on it. It weighs 2.6 kilos. It is unbelievably light, unbelievably awesome. And I think there's two in the country at the moment. And thankfully- the, the real question that all our listeners will want to know is what's the girth? <laughs> what's the filter thread on that? Massive. <laughs> that is big. Yeah, I don't know. Right. Gigantic lenses, tripods always fully extended. What what's going? Something someone's lucky, Cam. I might I might actually let you in near it one day. You might be able to touch it. 
stroke it. <laughs> Last question well, in the first mode PG. is... <laughs> no, I never said that. Graceful behaviour. My mum's listening. I'm going to have to explain all these jokes to her. <laughs> Last question in the burst mode. Um, and keep it as brief as possible. What does the future What does the future hold for Tom and his photography? Photographing, getting back into my bird photography, which I, I started photographing, you know, my photography career, if you call it as such, um, when I was nine years old. So I'm really excited to use that lens and get back involved with it, um, particularly floating hides. So I, I love the idea of not just going out and shooting any type of birds. I'm going to specialise in photo- photographing from a floating hide. So you're at eye level with the birds. I love that. Right. I reckon that um, 800 lens is going to come in very useful. I reckon it's going to be awesome. Um, publishing a lot more of my work in my books. We did three books this year, one of them with the uh, illustrious and world famous Cam Blake on Cradle Mountain, Lake St. Clair and the Overland Track. We still haven't we seen have, that book. We have about, <laughs> yeah, where is it? For this we have about, uh, we have at least another half dozen books in the pipeline and more to come. So that's that's what my, selling more of my artwork through my gallery, running my workshops, going overseas, going to amazing places. That's what the world looks like for me. Brilliant. Love it. Now, if you want to see lots and lots of Tom's stuff, obviously he will be linked below. Uh, uh, your website address, Tom, is? TomPutt.com, T-O-M-P-U-T-T, as in golf.com. Oh, is it? It, it, doesn't it always comes it, back it, to it, doesn't it? It is a golf show, this. It is, yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, yes. exactly. So uh, I'm not going to touch that one. <laughs> <laughs> So this is, as we said earlier, this is sort of uh, the Franklin River uh, episode part two because, Tom, you uh, ventured down the Franklin a couple of weeks ago with that guy there. Um, and I'm still here to tell the tale. So to that's tell the tale, exactly. Tale. When you when you uh, put your name down to go <laughs> and do this, um, did, did reality meet your expectations? So just to answer that question, let me give you a bit of backstory and because I know we've got a few hours left. So when I first heard about the Franklin River, my mate Ian Wallace, who's a good friend of both um, Cam and I's, um, told me about his experience on the Franklin River and his near-death experience. And therefore, in my mind, I was never going to go down the Franklin River. And it was only this year that I went back to Cradle, ran a few workshops there, saw Peter's work, sort of started... Crashed, crashed a few workshops, you mean? Laura... <laughs> There's, there's, there must be a cross line or something. There's this <laughs> annoying voice that keeps coming on and interrupting me. Um, I can mute him. Yes, please do. Please do. So, um, you know, I started looking at his work again and um, buying a few more of his books online, secondhand, Wild Rivers, for example, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I really ignited my passion and love to want to go and shoot bold landscapes, um, you know, wide-angle lenses, um, getting close to your foreground, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought, what better way to um, jump into that genre again by going down the Franklin River. And at a very weak moment in time with a little bit of money in my bank account, I stupidly went on to um, camblakephotography.com.au and uh, and signed up for the workshop. And um, and look, it was, and, and from then, I really didn't think too much about the workshop as such. I did very little research. I didn't read much other than what to take. And I really wanted to go into that experience without having much, many expectations at all or or knowing much about what we were going to see or experience because at the end of the day, I just wanted it to be just coming at me and and seeing it all for the first time. And to answer your question, it was incredible. It was well beyond my expectations. If you haven't done it, I, I would say to anyone who um, wants an incredible remote experience in an 
such a unique part of the world, but who is a passionate landscape photographer who knows that Peter Dombrovskis Rock Island Bend photograph and who I think it, for me personally, it would have been a little bit of a sort of, not injustice, but I would have felt a little bit like I'd left a little bit on the table if I hadn't in my career gone down and actually seen that for myself. That I don't want to replicate his photo. No one's going to do better than what he did. I just wanted to go and see it for myself and pay homage to um, obviously his photography and the impact that I had that particular photograph had on the Australian, you know, the Australian history. So it was, it was incredible. The whole experience was amazing. Uh, the guides we had were fantastic. The The weather was interesting to say the least, which just added to the whole experience, the people that we travel with, et cetera, et cetera. It's not, it's not your typical sort of photographic workshop where you just land in one spot and you do day trips from there and it's all very easy and nice. It's, um, it's a bit of hard work and it's a real um, adventure experience. Well, yeah. just um, we, we've spoken with Cam about last year's trip and this year's trip. And we, and a lot of our listeners and viewers will know a fair bit about Cam, but you, Tom, would you consider yourself to be physically fit? Like, did you find it? Yeah, yeah, I would be, you know, I'm probably a few kilos. Aren't we all <laughs> mate? Don't worry kilos. about that. We always want to be fitter and, and look more buff and be more like Cam, but um, <laughs> I, I consider myself to be reasonably fit and um, and still there were times where I'm like, hey, this is pretty challenging. Not yeah, so, for, so it knocked you around a little bit a couple of times? Not for the paddling so much. Um, I do a bit of kayaking on the bay anyway um, and so I was pretty prepared for that. It was more the portages where, you know, you're climbing up over hills and through yeah. vaults and vertically up a few places, which is normal apparently. Um, we just had an interesting experience at Rock Island Bend where the river had risen about a metre and a half and it yeah. wasn't physically possible for us to get the rust through there that day. And we'd stopped and yet there was nowhere to camp. So the guides are like, well, we're going to just go up through the forest there, down the other side, walk along the river a bit and we'll find camp just, yeah. just, just around the corner. You know, they, made it, sound, they yeah. made it sound very easy. And uh, yeah. three or four hours later, we made it there. Well, it's yeah, funny. If they told you exactly how it was going to be, you probably would no, have we done probably it. could have done it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this, this, is the, choice, so. this is the beauty of the track, of the trip as well, is that, um, it's a little bit like the overland track, you know, in a way that you have no real choice but to keep moving forward, and yes. on on the river even more so because on the overland track you can always just turn back or take a, a side trip out to a road or something like that. But on the Franklin, you you don't have an exit plan. Like there is no exit plan apart from what we saw at one of the trips, uh, one of the camps. We had someone had an exit plan, but pretty much you are just going from camp to camp to camp and. Uh, what Tom was referring to at Rock Island Bend there, out of myself, who's done it a few times, but the guides and the other group guides that joined us, there was a, a combined 250 trips down that river and not one of them had done the portage around Rock Island Bend that we ended up doing. So that's how high the water was. That's how crazy the water was um, to the point that they went, well, we can't camp here. The water's not going to drop in time. We need to portage around this, this section. And, um, as I said to a lot of people in the group, where we where we at Rock Island Bend to camp in the raft is seriously five minutes in the raft. It took us three four hours to portage around and walk down to camp. So that that's something I love about the trip is that it's it's there's no guaranteed anything along the trip. You know you you know you you get to Rock Island Bend, you're not guaranteed to get a good shot of it. You're not guaranteed to get the perfect conditions or whatever it might be. But every 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 day is different, and there's no real guarantee, which I love. So um, it was yeah, it was pretty 
pretty full on. But I must say there, there was a couple of moments like Tom and I actually weren't in the boat much at all. We only had, I think, one or half a day in the boat together. No, we tried to avoid it. We tried, we to, avoid tried, we tried to avoid it. And it, I was think that, that, it was that it was that trip that was either going to make or break us. And, it was. And so yeah. we decided that we were probably best to be separated. But let's just stay far away from each other. But the one time that we were in the in the raft was when the high water was on and we had to get from one side of the river to the other side. Like we're talking, what, 30 metres, 40 metres across the river right on top of this practical, practically a deadly rapid that was flowing like you'd never never seen before. And our raft had to, we had to paddle across the other side and then grab a rope from someone on the other side to pull us in. And that was about the only, I think if there was something that strengthened Tom and I's our friendship was that moment there when we were paddling like nothing else. Like, and I remember Tom looking at me and me looking at Tom was like, paddle, mate, just paddle, paddle, paddle. Oh, we were shouting at each other, go, Cam, go. <laughs> no, we've, ah, just, we've just got to make it, just got to make it across. So it was life or death. <laughs> it was almost life or death, but um, awesome. It was good fun. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Um, so, Tom, um, yes. let us all in on the equipment that you took, photographically speaking. Um, so as Cam alluded to last week, uh, a Pelican 1400 case um, with two Nikon Z7s, uh, one with a 14 to 30 mil, these are full frame F4 lens, and then the other one with a 24 to 120 mil F4 lens. And I've been shooting with that system now for about 18 months and um, I love it. I think off, off and on. <laughs> I think okay. I think the, I think the Nikon may have been in and out of repair a couple of times. Uh, I, I, They're not sponsored by Nikon. It's okay. For those who don't know, um, I took them on the overland track when Cam and I was sort of. <laughs> well, I needed I needed a, a, a sort of like to get away experience this year, and decided to go and walk the overland track again and celebrate my 25 years in photography by going back and doing the overland track again solo late August it was this year and I took the two cameras with me but one of them was playing up and the lens wasn't sort of connecting to the body properly so the aperture wasn't coming up uh, and it wasn't allowing me to shoot and like the night before I left I was checking the cameras and I'm like oh Jesus hold on no this is the one playing up I've, I've put it, the lens on the wrong camera so I swapped that got on the track and went to go and take my first photos and realized that the, that camera wasn't working none of the lenses were working and the only way that I could get it to work was sort of like multiple times taking the lens on and off. Um, I found that if I, I licked my tongue and I licked the uh, and, and moistened the uh, <laughs> moist contacts, moist yeah. made the contacts all moist that it's kind of worked. Um, yeah. oh, it was a disaster. And in the end, I'm I'm camped on the summit of Cradle Mountain in about two three foot of snow by myself on the first night, and I'm messaging Cam going. By the way, um, do you reckon you could meet me at the Ronnie Creek car park tomorrow morning, bring your Fuji, and I could race down and meet you and we could do a swap over of cameras? Because the next week I'm carrying this camera with two lenses that's basically useless. Doesn't work, my yeah. other my other Nikon, I'd already said to Mary, my wife, I'd said, um, send that off to Sydney and tell them it's stuffed and I don't want it back. And this was the second time that I'd had to repair it. Um, so when I got home from Cradle, I shipped everything off to Nikon and I said, I don't want to back until you've worked out what the problem is. And they were very good to me. And they explained it all. They, they uh, very much looked after me and thankfully it hasn't played up since, but it was, um, it they worked very well down the Franklin. This, this is, this is so refreshing, Brendan, because mm. usually we're hanging shit on Canon, but now we've just got, we've just got, we've just got Tom on here and he's hanging shit on Nikon. That's yeah, great. That's fine. Yeah. 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 No, I've uh, we hang shit on everybody. It's a time. Yeah, exactly. So long no. as they don't sponsor the show, let's go to town. No, we're, ne right. we're never getting sponsors on this show. Um, but <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you for sticking with the Nikon and, 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 and taking it down, down the Franklin. 
Um, so the two lenses, can you tell me again the two lenses you carried? Yeah, so I, I recently switched over from, um, I had I had Nikon D800s back in about 2014. That's when I jumped ship from Canon. I'd used Canon for 25, 20 odd years. And then got jack of them not upping the megapixels because us as landscape photographers always want more megapixels. So I went from a Canon 5D Mark II to um, the Nikon D800s. I had two of those. And then I went to a Pentax 645Z medium format digital which i loved and got great results for many years i killed two of those drowned both of them <laughs> and so then um i went to the nikon z7 system and i never thought that i would own f4 lenses over 2.8 lenses you know i'm a bit of a camera snob but i spoke to jeff murray down there in tassie and a few other people and they were just amazed at the quality they were getting out of the z7 along with those f4 lenses because i found that as i was getting a little bit older even though i look extremely young um, that I couldn't carry the weight of my f-stop bag with all of the crap in it. The you know these days, fifteen kilos, whatever it might be, just to go out for a, a photographic shoot. So I wanted a system that was lighter that I could carry when I'm doing a whole lot more sort of hiking around. So the sharpness on those um, fourteen to thirty f/4 lens and the twenty-four to one twenty f/4 lens that I use primarily for my aerials is fantastic. And of course, I wouldn't use them if they weren't sharp. Yeah. Awesome. Now, when when you're on the Franklin, and, and clearly there's 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 limits. You can't take everything, of course. Yeah. Did you did you ever find yourself wanting for a no. different lens? You, no, you were no, happy. No. no, I had the really extreme wide angle for the for the stuff where I get really close to the foregrounds. Um, you know, there's some great shots there. Or some you know a whole lot of logs sort of banked up. You know, one on top of the other, so you could get in really close to them and and point the camera down and and get some really good distortion happening there through to the 120 where you could sort of zoom in on something in the distance, you know, some fog going through some trees or something. So never knew anything else. It's a, it's yeah. a pretty, that's one thing about the Frank and I like as well. It's a pretty compact studio you're working in the whole way. Like there's a couple of moments where you can see straight downstream a few hundred meters and stuff like that. But overall it's all this compact sort of shooting all the way along. So yeah, you can um, get away with using a 24 to 70 mil lens most. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And a lot of people ask before we go down, it's like, oh, can I bring my 200 mil lens or can I bring like my 100 to 400 or something like that? It's really not going to be required. So, no. yeah. And then if you're thinking, oh, because what happens if we see some wildlife? I mean, I'm an avid, keen bird watcher and there was hardly anything. You just don't see a lot other than beautiful yeah. landscapes and, and flowing rivers, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. Yeah. Nice one. So, um, how many nights were you out on the Franklin? Uh, what was it? Seven nights, wasn't it? Seven nights, eight days. Okay. And yeah. in terms of um, battery power, what 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 did you guys take? So I had three batteries. So obviously I had one in each camera plus a spare. And then I carried a Signet power bank, which was 20,000 milliamps. And I used that to charge my phone because I had a I had my mobile phone in just a, a, a waterproof casing with a lanyard around my neck so i had that stuff down my um life jacket each day so i was charging up the phone a bit but it was on airplane mode and then i charged up my camera battery a couple of times in that 24 to 120 uh, millimeter lens option but uh you know the, the batteries was not a problem and in fact i'm embarrassed to say that i think cam actually tutored me on that and said oh no you can charge your camera battery while you leave it in the camera and just mm. plug a USB-C connection into yeah. the side. Yeah. I'd never really done that before. So, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, that, that, that's a total game changer, though. 
in, oh, in it's revolutionized cap. power hasn't it i mean yeah, you know charging unreal. carrying spare batteries is almost a thing yeah. of the past like you might carry one as yeah. just for redundancy but uh otherwise yeah one of those bad yeah. boys that camps like, holding right there this yeah. is 20 milliamps and that'll charge for example the om system <clears throat> i'll get four or five charges out of that yeah. so that that's technically five and a half thousand shots well that's that's exactly what i plan on taking down the overland is mm. is the is one of those very twenty thousand milliamp hour battery charges yeah I do find that the mirrorless system chews up batteries far quicker than, um, you know, the conventional mirrored system. Definitely. Yeah, probably twice as quickly as before. Um, but obviously we've got those um, power banks that we can carry with us, which make it redundant. Uh, I think the new Overland track huts, I know you guys don't stay in the huts, but the public huts are now going to have... Um, they got USB charges. USB in charges in them. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. Yeah, I, actually, it's, that's something I'm looking forward to when I trip, power, um, et cetera, So All the new huts are open. Now, I was talking oh, to people the other day. So there's some new huts on there. But yep. So there's a beautiful one at Kiora and another one at Lake Lind Windermere. And the one yeah. at Waterfall Valley is gorgeous. Yeah, it's incredible. Do we get to name them? No, they're named. Oh, damn it. I was going to call one Tom. Tom Tom Hut. <laughs> Perfect. You're all over it. Uh, now, look, there, we, we need to address the elephant in the room. Um, there was an incident on the Franklin. Um, wow. Well, Cam didn't go to the toilet for the first five days. So no. <laughs> he was no, about the other incident. We, we, we all no. did a stacks on. Uh, it came out and, and covered exploded. everybody and it was yes. exploded everywhere. It was unbelievable. No, no, there, there, there was an incident. There was an incident, and and to be honest, so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna just hand it over to Cam and Tom to tell you guys to tell it about. Out. Yeah. The big moment on the Franklin trip this year. Let me just say this, that the last four remote trips that Cam has run <laughs> down the Franklin and down Cradle, he's had one of those little buzzy flying bird thingamabobbies follow him every time. Yes. Uh, he's jinxed. So, yeah, the mechanical bird once again made an appearance on the Franklin River. So, um, so when we when we got to Rock Island, Ben, as, as Tom's mentioned, we had a lot of river water going down there it, it raised a, a meter and a half almost two meters in flood so when we did our big portage around to the the campsite near rock island bend it was too much water to actually move the boats through so the boats actually stayed up the river overnight so we hiked all our camping gear and our, uh, a bit of food and a bit of stuff for cooking and stuff like that <coughs> tom tom made a very smart decision and stuck his two nikon z5s z7 z5s z7s z7s in <laughs> his actual uh hiking pack so to speak in in regards to that so they gave us an option that if you want to bring your camera they've got to go on these bags not however the they did say lighten your load as much as possible because you yes. will be carrying it on your back yeah that's so right it's anything that you don't absolutely have to take please leave it behind to yeah. which i put my two cameras in the back yeah so you, you he did the smart thing because he actually i think he got some great photos when we finally got around to it but so what happened is we ended up marrying up with the other another commercial group on the river so they had two rafts and we had three so the five rafts actually stayed up river overnight we walked down to our camp we had it all set up we had dinner and that was all fine so what they were waiting for is the river to drop in level so the next morning all the guides could go up and get the boats and bring the boats down through the rapids so they went in the morning i thought i thought it was quite funny because usually like Newlands Cascades where we were is quite safe, but they, it seems to be with the one spot on the river where the guides are like, right, we're off. Uh, you guys are on your own. Uh, don't die sort of thing. So, <laughs> so they, yeah, they, that's where, that's where Ian, you know, almost drowned. Yeah, that's right. That's where Ian almost fell, fell, fell in as well. So, um, so what they did, they took off the next morning to go up the river to go get the boats and 
you know, it was about a couple of hours later, I think, wasn't it? When yeah, they it was all... significantly later because they yeah. had to rope them around um, pig trough. That's and right. Then they, and then they jumped in them and rode them down the cascade. That's right. So, so they're quite, usually pretty excitable, excited. These these guides, they're like, oh, we can run these rapids and do that. So, we were keeping an eye out from where we were. And Newlands Cascades is about three or four hundred meters of these in continuous rapids. So we we're all lying around. There was food, and we we're just chilling out. And then all of a sudden, we saw the first raft come around up the top of the up the river and. They came down and did all the rapids and like, yeah, everyone's cheering and carrying on. And they pulled over to the side and then they brought the next raft down and then the next raft and the next raft. And as it always happens, it was the last raft they had to bring down. And there was three highly experienced guides in these rafts. And they came down these rapids and we're all watching it like, yeah, this is cool. Now they did a couple of bits where they disappeared in the rapid and came out. And then they got bumped off to the left into a wall and they negotiated that. They got out of the rapid and they came down to like within 20 meters where we all were and, they sort of looked like they was coming into park into the into the corner into the wall and they hit the wall and then the water just started pouring into the boat and what it did is it flipped the boat upside down so all of a sudden you've got three guides and a boat upside down floating sort of down the river in, in sort of still pretty strong river uh, for river current and so as this is all happening we're all watching on the side tom was just taking photos probably i don't think i don't know what you were doing or you were doing video i, I, think, was, or... I was videoing it yeah yeah and everyone's like okay okay there's three people there and mitch was um he was swimming everywhere the young bloke he was grabbing oars that had fallen out and one of the guides from the other company um he all of a sudden sort of just disappeared under the under the under the raft and then everyone's like oh where, where's this guy gone where's he gone where's he gone and next minute we saw him on it his partner in crime um, picked him up from under the boat and and pulled him out and he, lo he looked pretty pretty yuck when he came out from under that boat and i think we all sort of thought oh he's, he's taken on a bit of water or he's not he's sort of partly drowning or something like that and i remember hearing him say let me go let me go let me go and he, he swam across to the bank and at that point i think all of us sort of said oh, okay well they're all okay they're all off to the shore everything's okay and then the next minute one of the guides from 10 meters down the river where he came out came running up to camp to get the first aid kit and then they ran back down and um so then we found out that um he'd actually got his hand caught under the d-ring on the rope of the around the, the life rope of the of the raft and um he'd actually severed the top of two of his fingers off that uh off that hand from the pressure of the boat under there so um, Unbelievable. so on, on our group we had uh joe who is an or used to be an emergency ward nurse so she was right onto it they had obviously they all have first aid um training and things like that the guide so they all went down and tended to him and we're all sort of hanging around thinking okay what the hell is going on here and and then out came the satellite phone and as soon as the satellite phone comes out you know exactly what's on its way and um so yeah about uh, i don't know how long it was about an hour been two hours would have been two hours two hours maybe yeah so, they, they, and, and that sounds like a long time but they did radio through as a non-life-threatening emergency mm. so they said if there's something that's a priority obviously go to that first but for us yeah um we need a chopper but not not immediately and so yeah they i think they did come eventually um as in you know they came straight to us but they had to yeah. refuel and they were probably on a lunch break or morning tea or yeah, something playing, like that playing playing cards and <laughs> yes exactly yeah so um yeah so you know an hour and a bit later or two hours later um the westpac rescue helicopter comes in and and lands up river and they take uh this guy had his hand all bandaged up uh, thanks to joe she went down and um bandaged it all and redressed it and they took him back to Hobart. And from all reports, he, he's fine and in good spirits. And um, he, <laughs> the one thing that was surprising about that, which I thought this, this is just so typical of guides in general, but 
you know, the helicopter hadn't even arrived and people were hanging shit on this guy before what had happened. Like his own mate was, they were calling him KFC, finger licking good. <laughs> um, so they were getting right stuck into him, um, which I guess sense of humor is a way to deal with trauma, trauma as well. But um, so, yeah, it was another helicopter rescue. And funnily enough, the, the winch operator on the helicopter is the same guy that winched me out of my rescue all those years ago. Uh, he sent he sent me a photo a couple of days later from the helicopter looking down on the rapids from where we all were. So, uh, but the guide's fine. He, he'll he'll keep guiding. He's all all recovered. And um, but yeah, it was a bit of drama, a bit of action. And um, I know Elias, who runs the company we were with, when we got back to his brewery in, in New Norfolk, he came up to me. He said, "Look, between here and next year, can you just go on maybe someone else's trip or another <laughs> another company's trip, just so you don't have a helicopter? Because we had a helicopter on our last trip last year. So, but it was pretty exciting." Um, yeah, I think what it did do, Cam, is that it sort of like made people realize what we were undertaking, yeah, and and sort of just didn't let us get ahead of ourselves, yeah. It certainly grounded because we were, we were, you know, like day five, day six, we only had a day of paddling left, yeah, that wasn't a dangerous day anyway, but it kind of just reminded us of the fact that, um, anything can happen in in that part of the world, that's for sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing was, I was explaining to Brendan offline and obviously Tom, you knew what happened last night with my young boy and the emergency we had halfway through our chat. Yeah. It actually almost took an hour for the ambulance to come 10 kilometers from the Hobart hospital here to my house. And I was thinking yeah. last night, I was in bed trying to settle my brain down. I'm like, it took, it took almost just that long to get a helicopter into the absolute middle of nowhere to pull someone out. And yet locally, it's hard to get an ambulance to a residential house. So it just, just goes to show just incredible how the Westpac helicopter crew run. And I think what you're trying to say is if you have a medical emergency at home, make sure you ring the Westpac helicopter. Well, it probably, you probably would get there. You'd probably get there quicker. So um, get them to land yeah. on your local helipad and you'll be fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've surely I get frequent fly points or something like that. Yeah. Um, well, so yeah, that, that was, I that think, was... I think from now on, Cam, whenever you set out on any walk, just give Westpac rescue chopper a call. Yeah, just let them know your intentions. <laughs> Put yeah. them on standby. Well, yeah. the funny thing is, Brendan, the next trip I'm doing that might require that is the one yeah. you're coming on. Fantastic. Yeah. Hey, Brendan, have you been down the Franklin River yet? No, I have not. Oh, um, you must come. We've got a space available next next uh, November, the 10th to the 19th. Let me know if you need me to speak to the um, the powers that be, the chief financial officer, and um, I'll introduce <laughs> myself to the lovely lady. And Let, um, let's 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 get, get the clear. overland under my belt first. Thanks. We'll start. <laughs> okay. We'll start there, and then okay. uh, that's, that's no. I, I, I'm very excited. Um, when I talked to Cam, when I spoke to Cam last year about the trip, and now to both you guys, it, it has really inspired me to, to to want to get out there and do it. So I'm sure it is on the cards at some point. Yep. Uh, it just looks incredible, and I think that the thing for me that keeps hitting home is that what how Cam explained it to me was you don't see anything man-made for a week, which which I kind of really think is is awesome. That kind of isolation, I think, would be pretty cool. Yeah, you definitely um, like. There's a couple of little things that you see along the way, but it, it's one of those places where, you know, you're in the wilderness. Like there is mm. no doubt about where you are. And even like when Tom and the group at the Erenibus, you walked up that little knoll bit uh, at the back of camp, even when you get up the top there. And I think you mentioned it last night on the presentation that you really get a sense of where you are in the wilderness because you're on top of this mountain and you don't see anyone. Like it's just a river and mountains and valleys. And that's what, that's what it is. So, um, and I think that's quite unique these days to go to such an incredibly iconic landscape location and not have the hordes of people taking photos there. Um, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's probably uh, an attraction or, or 
uh, part of the charisma of what we did is um, is the fact that you're, you're not there sharing it with hordes of others, which which I hate. I mean, I won't go to the Wanaka tree in New Zealand, for example, because I don't want to stand in line with 40 or 50 other photographers getting the same yeah. shot that they do. Yeah, like, what's the point? Right. That's rubbish. So, yeah. so when it, when it came to the, the, the actual photography on this trip, Tom, yeah. yes. um, did, you, did you find yourself uh, wanting to get further away from where you, you were like you know what I mean like you, you're right there you haven't really you can't go too far away from camp because yep. you know for obvious reasons you want to stay safe and if you trip and fall or anything like that or um did, did you find that a wee bit frustrating or also when you're on the raft itself did you find a bit frustrating oh, I want to stop I want to get a photo and you're sort of limited to the stops right yeah I think there's there's a couple of points to to be made there firstly yeah, I hear what you're saying, but by the same token, it challenged me to look and find photographs in the places where we did stop. So typically where I might just go, oh, there's nothing here to photograph. Once I started just allowing myself to look for a while, I then saw a whole lot of things that I hadn't seen in the first place. So that was surprising. And I really enjoyed that part of it because it helped me be more creative. <clears throat> I think secondly, some there are some really good shots that you can get while you are traveling down the river and of course if you're the lead boat you've got no one in front of you if you're sitting in the front of the boat there's just you know the the apex of the boat and that's it i, I think if you had um either you know some of the participants as cam alluded to last week had olympus tg6 down their front and they could take photos with that or your iphone or or even just being able to have and we've queued it up hopefully for next time, Cam, where we'll have mm. a dedicated Pelican case at the front that's easily accessible that all four photographers in that raft have a camera in, just one of their own cameras in that Pelican case. So we can just pop it open easily, grab the camera, take a shot, put it back and be going within five minutes. And there's time for that as well. Uh, there's plenty of time for that as we go along the way. So that, that would be something that I'd do, but I didn't feel like I missed out on many shots um along the river by not having my camera there all the time yeah cool and cam you were saying the same thing that yeah. you found it focused your attention pardon the pun on exactly yeah. where you were stood basically yeah yeah and, and it happens every time as well like it's it's different it's probably the most unique trip i do out of my itinerary of what i do um each year because you know you do the overland track you got so much to shoot there you know all the other places i go you got plenty of access to the tracks and locations and you can drive here or drive there but the franklin river it just purely drives your like you said it purely drives your focus where and it's it's great to sit back and watch newbies go down the river because the first couple of days you can sort of see people's brain ticking over they want to do all these incredible large landscape shots and there's not much to do with that but there's a lot of these beautiful intimate shots along the river whether they're not to be rocks or tree roots or cliff faces or patterns in the water. And it, you can see people's mind. It, it's almost that disconnect from city life to wilderness. Like people just, they switch off the busy brain that they have nine times, you know, nine to five every day. And they go into this Franklin river mode where they just chill out, calm down. And I think the river does that. It calms you down. And all of a sudden you start looking at things completely different as a photographer. And I think people walk away with not only an amazing memory of the trip, but they walk away with, I think it's another, you know, another weapon in their repertoire as a photographer that, you know, they might go somewhere and they might be struggling to get a vision of what they want to look at. And I think they can sort of switch back to their Franklin River experience and go, right, okay, well, you know, this is a bit like the Franklin River where I couldn't see a shot every time I went somewhere, but what I could do is I could make shots happen based on being a bit more focused. So I think it's really good like that. 
um, and it's quite unique. So I don't think there's many other trips that you can do where you sort of challenge that much for eight days in a row. Hmm. So, so I, would um, say, I would say too that I think it's, um, <clears throat> I think the benefit of going on having that experience is that it's not purely just a workshop. It's probably more an adventure with some yeah. photography thrown in as opposed to, you know, a photographic adventure where you're doing a little bit of whitewater rafting. It's not, yeah. th not that at all. And yeah. so that really appealed to me in a sense that we are going on this adventure and every photograph that we get is going to be a bonus in that regard. Yeah. 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 That's good. Brendan's dying up there. He's having a few coughs. I, and I muted myself while I was having did, a little coughing that, fit. I'm, that's I'm, very I'm, I'm not calling for a Westpac rescue chopper just yet. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a highly professional act by you muting yourself. That's thank you, Tom. Um, filters. Did you take filters with you? I don't use filters much at all. I, I try and avoid them. I just find that I get sort of slowed down and stifled by them. I do carry a polarizer and a, a six stop neutral density filter. I think I put the mm. six stop on a couple of times, but that was it. I didn't really need them. I, uh, polarizer, not so much. No, not at all. You kind of want that nice when it rained and it saturated the the rocks on the side of the river etc i liked that that gloss that shine that we had coming off them okay, and and aside from this actual trip you say you don't use them much at all in your photography hardly ever at all i think people get caught up in using all these filters and think it's going to improve their photography they're probably better to choose better better subject matters to be honest i, I think you've hit the nail on the head uh, people think it's going to improve their photography that's not what they're made for at all. The, the filters are made for particular situations, and I yeah. totally am all for that, and particularly in, in with, with ND filters. I mean, it can certainly change the look and feel, but it ain't going to make you a better photographer. There's no question about that. No, no I think the le sometimes the less gear you have, the better. So we're not yeah. sponsored by Nissi either. <laughs> well, I sell Nessie filters and Suruui tripods. But are you an Are you an I'm not, I'm not going to tell people how they should spend their money. I mean, they should just be. They should be. I always say to people, don't go and buy new cameras, new equipment, etc. If it's going to preclude you from coming on another one of my workshops, yeah. you should be spending your money on my workshops first. And as tongue in cheek as that is, you're exactly right. We we've said this all the way yes. through yeah. the Down South Photo Show, and that is spend right. your money on experiences and what could be Correct. better than a rafting trip down the Franklin. Yeah, 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 absolutely, for sure. Speaking yeah. of which, we are doing it again next year, which is going to be awesome. I can't wait. I'd go again tomorrow. And I'd say that mm. with all honesty. If 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 Cam rang up and went, hey, Elias has got two spots available next week, <laughs> I'd, be, I'd, be, um, I'd be having to explain myself later to Mary, but at the end of the day, I would go. It was so yeah. – I know when I love a place, when I'm already planning the next trip to come back before yeah. I've ever left. And, yeah. you know, Cam and I were talking about on the bus on the way there. And yeah, yeah. we already yeah. hit Elias up for dates for next year, et cetera, et cetera. So, the, so the, we the do book, have a couple. The, book, of... the book's mostly done. A, we're going to do a book on the Franklin. We're going to do a book on the Franklin as well, <laughs> apparently. apparently. I'd already, yeah, I'd already started laying it out like the yeah. day I got home. We we're yeah. about 80 pages in already. Um, but it's the 10th to the 19th of November next year, 2023. So the 10th to the 19th of November. Yeah. And uh, we have a couple of places available. Um, we're only we only have eight participants coming or allowed to have we space for eight um, yeah. we'll be sort of handpicking the crew based on obviously uh, fitness levels and um, et cetera et cetera um, but if you'd like to come we'll post a link there's an inquiry form yeah. on the website there we'll put it if you can't find it anywhere if you go onto my Facebook it's a, as a public post so you'll see it there also 
You know, one of, the, one, of, link one, below. Of, one of the things I love about the Franklin more than anything is when people book in for this trip and they're like, oh, cool. What do I need to get? What do I need to buy? What? The first thing you say is you need to buy Dunlop volleys. And people are like, Dunlop volleys? What, what are you talking about? Like they are the best. People, it's just so, such a $15 pair of shoes, but they are the probably most essential equipment. Hey, I paid items. 50 for mine. Oh, did you? Oh, so you got ripped wow. off. That's because you, you bought, coming, Tom. That's because you bought clown size. <laughs> I'll send you the bill. I'll send Cam the bill. Yeah. But yeah. But uh, yeah, it's a great trip. And yeah, every once a year is um, awesome. And, and it's different every year, which is. You know, it's low water. Once a year water. gives you time to sort of say, yeah, I'm never doing that again. Yep. Forgetting the bad parts, remembering the good parts and going, yeah, it wasn't so bad after all. Yeah, yep. perhaps I should go back. Yep. Yeah. Well, look, and it's it's plainly obvious to me just by the way you two are going on about it in such a good glowing terms. Um, pretty awesome experience for the old mental health as well, I would imagine, Tom. It was amazing. I, I really didn't think about anything else the whole trip, to be honest. Brilliant. I, I haven't told Mary that, but, um, you know, I really didn't give two crap. She didn't think about you either, mate. No worries. She didn't answer his satellite um, phone for about- me. Uh, uh, Brendan, whose side are you on, for goodness sake? Are you sounding <laughs> like my wife here? But, yeah, it was amazing. Hey, I know that we're going to wrap up soon. I know we aren't going to sort of um, break the talking landscape photography, uh, you know, world record. However... Um, I wanted to uh, reference a, a podcast you did a couple of weeks back where you were talking about, um, you brought up me, Brendan, and me not releasing my images on social media anymore. Yeah, and yeah. The nail on the head. Thank you very much. You sort of like, I was I was nodding the whole way through because you were very much sort of uh, trying to understand perhaps why that I would do that. And it was exactly the case where um, they do get easily overlooked. Um, we're in a very fortunate position. And when I say we, Mary and I, in that we have a gallery, we publish books very regularly, um, three this year, for example. We have the the vehicles in which to be able to release our images. So um, in different mediums other than social. So it makes sense for us to do them. I feel the best justice by printing them big and putting them on the wall and you know, when I when I would go before social media, before even the internet, really, back in the late 90s, when I'd walk into Ken Duncan and Peter Leake's galleries, you know, in Melbourne here, Cairns, Noosa, Port Douglas, etc. I loved nothing more than going in and seeing their latest work, because that's the only way you could see it. Yeah. It wasn't on their website. It wasn't on Facebook. Facebook hadn't been invented yet. So we wanted we want our customers and our followers excuse me, to have that same experience come September next year when they walk into the gallery and they see 25 beautiful photographs that they've never seen before. And there'll be a great story alongside of that and they'll be very much absorbed in the moment and for the first time seeing these images and hopefully that will create an impact that um, lasts with them for a, a while to come. I would imagine you're going to have quite a hard time narrowing it down to 25. Yes and no. It's interesting um, because I'm my harshest critic and... This is going to come across really the wrong way, but there's very little of the work that I do that I actually like. Um, in of a your sense, own stuff, of my own work, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you right. know, for example, I, I entered the international landscape photographer of the year competition this year. Cam's seen the photos I entered. I shared them with him today. There was eight images. What I thought was my worst image ended up getting in the top 101. And I look at it now and I go, well, there's nothing special about it. You know, maybe I liked it at the time, but I look at it now and I probably wouldn't even print it to put in this annual exhibition. So it, it's hard for me to choose choose the ones that I really, really like because I do sort of 
look at them perhaps initially go oh that's quite nice but then get over them very quickly and want to go out there and take a better photograph i'm i'm kind of i'm one of those people that's never satisfied and that's that's not a great sort of position to be in because i'm i'm always in a, in a oh, I, I, com I completely disagree i think it's an excellent position to be in. you're constantly right. going to be pushing yourself if you're your own worst critic i mean for the example I'll give you is, and you're innocent, we're all married, but my, my wife looks at my photos and she, you know, uh, her take on my photography is completely different to my take. Yep. And, and I, I'm so, this is going to sound terrible. I'm so sick of my own backyard. It's because I'm here all the time. I always, this is where I go. This is my, this is where I work. This is where I raise my kids. This is where I'm located. So I go out and I take these photos and I'm forever trying to outdo my own. But all I've got is what I've got to work with right in front of me. Yeah, yeah. And, and that can be really, really frustrating. But I seem to have been able to inadvertently over time weed out so, sort of like the, the old general manager of, um, of General Electric. His theme was every year he would sack the bottom 10%. Yeah, that's Jack right? Welch, wasn't it? Yeah. That's it. And that and, and that's kind of like what I'm doing now is I'm getting rid, literally deleting, getting rid of the bottom 10% of my photo, getting them off my website. Yeah. Getting them, and, and of course, over time, that builds a better, yes. well, yes. in theory, it should build a better gallery, right? Yeah. 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 I always say to people that Does I- Does that make any make... sense what I just said? It doesn't matter. No, no, it does. <laughs> yeah, no, I yeah. always try I, on that business side of things because I'm probably more passionate about business than I am about photography. Um, I, I always say to people that I try and make a 1% improvement in my business every week so that by the end of the year, it's 50% better off than it was at the start of the year. And I like doing that tinkering and finding new ways to do things that are better so that um, it keeps me interested. It keeps me motivated, et cetera, et cetera. And the same with my photography. I'm never sort of resting on my laurels at the end of the day. Um, I'm always striving to do better, take a better photograph, go to amazing locations, et cetera. And um, yeah, just try to be better as a person. But I think what I'm trying to say too, Brendan, before you rudely interrupted, was that um, <laughs> was that uh, I, I think you've got to celebrate your successes as well. And that's what I don't do well. And I don't want to sort of be 80 or 90 and say to myself, oh, I really probably should have celebrated that one success a little better. Um, the one chance, that, the one more recent thing that we did was when I won um, Nature Photographer of the Year through the International Photography Awards. We actually went across to New York to accept the trophy for that. And we're so glad that we did because that was only a few months before the pandemic hit. And we had yeah. no idea that was coming. So we got yeah. the opportunity to both go to New York for the first time, um, see some amazing sites, visit some people that we hadn't caught up with before, et cetera, et cetera. And so, yeah, that sort of, because Mary was the one who said, if you win, we're going. And I'm like, hold on a second, babe. You know, like we haven't even got the money in the bank account, let alone, you know, <laughs> how are we going to farm off the five kids? Have I got any workshops on? Who's going to look after the gallery? You know, there were so many boxes we needed to tick. And fortunately, we were able to tick all those boxes and go. So, yeah, I think you've got to celebrate your successes along the way also, but always obviously strive to be better. Do we get awesome. do we get to a point though, and our chat that we had today about awards and stuff, which we'll, chat, we'll touch on another time, but... Are we getting to a point now as photographers where we're chasing too much success? Like, you know, you're saying that, you know, you're never happy with what, you know, you're probably your worst critic or your harshest critic. Like I find in the work that I do, and as I said today, like I, I like what I do and I like the results I get. And I, I generally can sit back each day and go, I'm happy with what I'm producing and happy with the photos I get. Where I think there's a lot of other people with like, 
they're like, well, my best photo is still ahead of me. I've still got to get that best shot. I've still got to go there. I've still got to get that. Are we taking it a bit too seriously in regards to what we're photographing? Like, I know that's a big topic to open, but I sort of feel like sometimes photographers, there's a lot of this external pressure, you know, awards, social media, you know, making money at it, workshops, whatever it is. Are we sometimes putting too much pressure on ourselves to get better and more exciting photos for the wrong reasons? Or are you saying that, you know, you, you, the shots that you, you're wanting to get or the, the improvements you want to get is purely for your own personal satisfaction of what you see and what you take? Or is it business related as well? Um, if Mary was here, she would answer this straight away by saying Tom doesn't do anything unless it's um, it benefits him. Um, <laughs> in a sense that I'm I'm... I'm pretty sort of driven and selfish in that regard. And so at the end of the day, I'm not going out there to take better photos in order to win any type of award or to gain any mm. sort of recognition. I'm only doing it purely for myself. So at yeah. the end of the day, my, my, you know, <clears throat> my competition is not anyone other than myself. Yeah. And but if so you, if, if, if you... I'm not doing that in order to then, um, you know, one up people on social media. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. You know, at the end of the day, I'm out there wanting to take the best photographs possible, so I can be the best photographers and take and and publish them in books. For example, that's my legacy. Yeah. Um, sell it as artwork, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, of course, I want to be the best, but um, you know, it's 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 a it's a long journey, and it's the journey I'm on, and I realize that it's it's going to take time. I think yeah. Tom, um, and just speaking for myself, but I would imagine you and I are kind of similar in this regard. Um, I don't so much have a gallery as such. I run a, a photographics shop that has my artwork on display. Mm. To me, and it happened today, that there is no bigger bigger kick than when someone hands over their hard-earned four-year photos. It still freaks me out. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm so pleased that people do it, and and. Um, and, you know, we walked into a $10 million house in South Yarra last week and hung a beautiful snow picture of mine, canvas, metre and a half. And they had this brilliant artwork on the wall. In fact, they told us that they spent $85,000 on one of their pieces of art. And and here is my uh, $4,000 piece of canvas uh, hanging in their living room, like pride of place, like in their living room. And that was pretty, that was a bit of a wow, you know, pinch me sort of moment where you think, should wow. I should have charged them eighty thousand? <laughs> right. No, not at Damn all. It. No, not at all. Not at all. It's more just, um, you know, like I'm honoured that you see when I take a photograph, I'm not taking it for anyone other than myself. I'm not thinking, oh, great, I'm going to be able to put this in the gallery and I'll sell heaps of them. Yeah, it's it's just coincidence in in some respects that people like what I happen to like. Yeah, you so know, that, that, that's that, that. that's a big hurdle too because at the end of the day, when you're trying to sell something commercially like photographic art. A, they have to know about you. B, they have to like the photograph. C, they have to like the price. There's so many hurdles mm. that you have to, or boxes you have to tick, I should say, for people to actually then hand over their hard-earned that um, really it's not it's not an easy sell. You know, selling art is by no means easy, as you know, Brendan. Mm. Um, and so, therefore, it is a real feather in the cap, I guess you'd say, for anyone who decides to, put your photo that you is so personal to you on their wall that they're going to be looking at every day. It kind yeah. of puts me out. I, I love it. And I've, I've been lucky enough as well to be able to deliver um, pieces to pay uh, to places and hang it for them and all that sort of stuff. 
And 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 that's such a thrill. It's such a buzz to see you, or even even if they just take a photo of it and send it to you on Facebook and say, "Hey, this is your picture. How, how awesome does it look?" And yeah. all that sort of stuff. That that's to me. That's almost all I need. Um, you know, I don't. I'm, I'm I I've always thought I'm not good enough to enter these competitions and all this sort of stuff. And, and to be honest, I just don't have the time for it and can't really be bothered. But I, as I say, I think I get enough out of it when people, you know hand over their coin for it. And I, I think that's, to me, I think that's the ultimate. I think that's very cool. Yeah. Yep. And by the way, you know, we've sort of alluded towards competitions and and other things as well. Competitions aren't the be all and end all. They're not for everybody anyway. It's it's just, mm. it's one yardstick, one way of measuring yourself perhaps against others, but that's not the only way. And, and do you need to compare yourself to others? No, we don't. No, we just need to be not. happy with what we're doing. No, I think exactly. what, what I was alluding to before, I think you've just answered it in your previous a response there about that you you still shoot for yourself so you shoot what you like you know what you see and what Always. you what you like and, and i think that's some i think there's a bit of a differential between landscape photographers now i think there's a bit of a divide so to speak or a fork in the road where some of us are still going down that track of that that looks lovely it's a beautiful time at the moment in time and beautiful light that i want to capture because i like it and I think there's other people that are like, well, I've got to take these photos because I know they do well in awards or I know they'll sell better or I know this or I know that. I think that's I think, a, yeah, go on. Sorry. Yeah, Kate. I was just going to say, I think I think there's two different paths that people are taking. And I think that's, I, I want to stay on the path where I take photos because I like what I see and I like the moment or it's a special moment to me or, you know, the Franklin River and, you know, moments that we really enjoy as opposed to shooting because that's that's the that's the that's the way things are going or that's the trend that's happening or, or stuff like that i think that's the wrong way to go about it as a landscape yeah i think that's uh that's just set for, you, you're gonna end up failing there's no there's no um happy ending in that regard because yeah. trends change yeah that's right. chasing yeah. those trends the whole time you're probably going to be um you know catching up to the trend and before you know it's changed then you have to change tack again yeah. and i think you're doing it for the wrong reasons it's a bit like trying to shoot stock you're either shooting stock because you're really good at doing it or you're shooting stock and you're doing really poorly because mm. uh, it's not in you to do that. You, you're yeah. shooting for other people and other purposes as opposed to for yourself. So yeah. to, to me, it's all, always been the rush of being in a spot, particularly this is where we're so lucky as landscape photographers. We get to be in these fantastic parts of the world and we get to also capture it as well. Yeah. And I keep referencing back to my Mungo trip last year, I think that was the last time I genuinely got high on the moment of being there and also getting to capture it. So it's not yeah. just seeing it. It's actually having the skills, having yeah. the knowledge. Yeah, maybe a little bit of gear as well, but it's mainly the skills and the knowledge and knowing how to capture that scene. And in some ways showing off that talent as well, that, that there's, there's a bit of ego there as well. For me, personally speaking, I, I like you know being being able to say, I was presented with this moment and I had the yep. ability to capture it. And I, I really enjoy that side of things as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I, 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 at the end of the day, it, the overriding factor for me though, is that high, that high that you get when you're just in this amazing sunset or yep. amazing waterfall or wherever you happen to be. Like I just, that, that that's it. That's well, it in a nutshell. For me. Mother, mother nature is the, the winner. Well, as yes. far as I'm concerned, like the, the stuff and one of the nicest comments ever anyone's ever said to me was a friend in Melbourne where I, I think I was showing some photos of where I've been and, and they just said, geez, you, you must see the world in such a beautiful way as opposed to people who don't take photos. Yeah. And I never really thought about it until a few months later. I'm like, well, yeah. 
Yeah, we do. We 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 are more attuned. We're tuned into those beautiful moments of light and and weather and and moments in in Mother Nature that some people just look at and just you know drive past and don't think about it. So you know we we should have a really good mindset because all we're doing is looking at these beautiful things all the time or or searching for these beautiful moments. So yeah, we're pretty lucky. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, look, I think uh, we're we're pretty close to time tonight. So um... I've, I've had enough of time too. <laughs> I have to get another text message from you again, Cam, and respond yeah. straight away. <laughs> you, know, you don't respond straight away. He's like, there's, there's expletives coming left, right, and center. He's terrible. I, I think I'll have to block his number. Yeah, I would. Uh, greatly appreciate you coming on the show tonight, Tom, um, and yeah, sharing your experience down to Franklin. I, I hope you've enjoyed your time on the Down South Photo Show. Um, not many people get this illustrious no, position I, of, you know. No. I don't know where to send the check to. If you could just let me know, that'd be, yeah. Uh, not Nick or Cannon, that's for sure. Just a tiny bit of housekeeping before we go. Thanks to everyone for liking, subscribing, sharing the channel around. Our little community is growing. Uh, every week we seem to be ticking up in the charts and ticking up in the in the follows and the subscribes and all that sort of stuff. The, 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 um, the YouTube. However, the Matt the and Tom... The Matt and Tom Excellent Podcast is available on Podbean, Apple, all your favourite podcast places. So make that's sure you a, listen to that. It comes that's out. A, that's a massive bleep, Brendan. I don't very original. I was just going to say, I'll edit that out. That's fine. No worries. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Terrible. No, that, no Matt, Matt and Tom do a great little podcast. They do give us a bit of a shout out, Brendan, every now and then. Okay, so, all right. Yeah, well, sure well we appreciate it. Thank you. Um, uh, one segment we didn't get to, well, two segments we didn't get to tonight was Gear Talk and uh, Deer Cam. If you have a Deer Cam question, please send it to us uh, at the links below. No time. Um, we actually <laughs> did get a Deer Cam question this week, but of course, the man in the middle of the screen here is who's on the question too. We've got to research. It is an absolute. We probably actually need the two weeks to try and figure out an answer to it. To be honest, so yeah, yeah. I can't um, even. I can't even remember what I asked. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, to to quickly wrap up, Tom, what have you got coming up for the remainder of 2022? Are you uh, just running the gallery and doing that sort of after, stuff, or workshops on, etc.? <laughs> after after 17 workshops, uh, 24 weeks away. I have been home for about a week, and so therefore I'm going away again. I'm taking my kids <laughs> up to Byron for uh, ten days uh, next week, which I'm very much looking forward to. It's a holiday. Superb. Um, I am going to take my camera. Uh, I'm going to do a bit of bird photography, a little bit of sort of droning and landscape stuff, but um, just wanting to chillax and sort of unwind and regroup before uh, we go away to Yellowstone to run a winter wildlife workshop in the USA come the 1st of February. So I can't wait. Sounds, sounds oh, terrible. Wonderful. No, um, be, I, yeah. I would like a request. If you're getting into your bird photography, yes, I want to photograph myself. But if you ever get one, I want an Azua Kingfisher, please. Uh, it's my yes. favorite bird on yes. the planet. And I need a photo of an Azua Kingfisher, please. You know, you know where you'll find them, Brendan? Kakadu. No. <laughs> down the, down oh, the as rare as hen's teeth down on the Franklin. Yeah, but how good would it be? Yeah, it'll look very nice. But I almost uh, got one at Kakadu at Yellow. Is it Yellow Creek? Uh, Yellow Waters. Yellow Waters. Yeah, yeah, I almost. Yeah. Got, I think I actually got a couple, but um, I did see one up um, uh, on the Ord River. There's a little creek that goes off the side there. We had quite a few, and they were the tamest I'd ever seen. God, see, so you, you're never, you're never going to look through your lens and see an azure kingfisher without thinking about me. So I just wanted to insert myself into that. I think if I go to Hillsville Sanctuary this weekend, I might have there to. Yeah, yeah. I don't want any captivity. It has to be in the world. Uh, Cam, what have you got coming up for the remainder of 2020? 
to probably a fair bit of drinking and relaxing i think had a boy um, yeah oh, so nothing's changed then. <laughs> like yeah nothing's changed um i'm still getting over the trip with tom i'm getting flashbacks and nightmares and- <laughs> you, are, you are busily planning what you need to do for when our cradle mountain book arrives. yeah we, we that's right this so we're going to get advanced copies in a couple of weeks oh yeah in, in less than two weeks yeah have so we'll have some of that. and then no, uh, i'm i am down for a copy of this book, right? Of course, yeah, yeah. Have you yeah. been on to tomputt.com and ordered your copy yet? Like I have to. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I will drop it into you personally. Brilliant. I would have I would have thought that was a given. That's a long uh, way. Awesome. That's a long way to go. That's a long way across the bay. Yeah, you too. Hey, I don't know. I, I know a very, very person that... close to me works on Sea Road Ferries, so we can sort something out. It's I think no the problem. GPS will actually know how to get out of Mornington, unlike Brighton. Brighton, <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. We're Mary. We're Mary. My partner says you have to be invited to Brighton. Yeah, uh, Brendan, <laughs> I can what, say that because I grew up in Brighton, so I can. Well, make, that that uh, answers everything. Uh, None of listeners are from Brighton. Don't worry about it. Yep. What listeners? Yeah. Um, Brendan, you um, you are stretching canvases. I imagine. For this. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm I glad do. you put the word canvas in there. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much all I do in December is get sore fingers from stretching canvases. So yes, that that's going to be me for the next three weeks. However. Tomorrow, speaking of sport, I'm off to the Australian Open golf for a couple of days. So, um, uh, right. Not sorry, so I know. Yeah, um, I yeah. can't wait. So, uh, that's actually not that far from Mornington. I could jump in the car and come further down, I suppose. Which which course is it at? Uh, it's at two courses. It's at the Victoria and it's at Kingston Heath. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're not so, far down the road. I'll be yeah, up that right. road tomorrow. Uh, you first pop time into, ever pop the, into the gallery. First time ever the men's and women's Australian Open are running concurrently. So it's going to be a group of men off a tee and then followed by a group of ladies. Oh, that is a great idea. Why exactly they like they do at the Vic Open here. Could they not play against each other? Haven't they done that? They've done that in tournaments that ha- before. That has been done before. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Brendan, did you see the uh, Herald Sun today with the guys on the golf course arguing? Did you see that? I, I have seen the full oh, video of it, um, and we won't go there. No, nah, what, 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 what a beautiful, what a beautiful example of golf etiquette. That, that was at the Cran, Cranbourne Golf Club, I believe. So, oh, yeah. not far yeah. from my part of the world. Uh, Crazy. We'll man. send you a link, Tom. You'll have a good old laugh about that. I heard uh, about that. Is it for, <laughs> that is it for episode sixty-two of the Down South Photo Show. Once again, Tom, thanks for coming on. Thanks, we will Tom. see you guys next week for episode sixty-three. Bye for now. Cheerio. Thanks, guys. See ya. Bye.